Sir Robert Watson Watt was a key figure in the Second World War. He was not a military man uh, or a politician, but one of those geeky scientists who like to take things apart to see how they work. He had a particular thing for radios. In the ominous days of the 1930s, when the governments of Europe were looking anxiously at political developments in Germany, the British Ministry of Defence employed Watson Watt to mess around with radios to see if he could come up with something that could add to the defence capabilities of those islands. So he did, and he did. He invented a system of tracking moving objects electronically on a screen. The name he coined for this technology was Radio Detection and Ranging, or RADAR. And it was instrumental in the Royal Air Force winning the Battle of Britain in 1940. Well, some years later, Watson Watt was driving in Canada and was not being too careful about the speed limits. And so the inevitable siren and flashing lights pursued him and he was given a ticket. A radar-toting Mountie got his man. Stung by the irony of being pulled over by a police officer using a piece of equipment he himself had invented, led Watson Watt to write the following poem entitled Rough Justice. Pity Sir Robert Watson Watt, strange target of this radar plot, and thus with others I can mention the victim of his own invention. His magical all-seeing eye enabled cloud-bound planes to fly, but now by some ironic twist it spots the speeding motorist and bites, no doubt with legal wit, the hand that once created it. Sowing and reaping. It's a law of nature. You sow the seeds, you reap the fruit. It's true on the farm, it's true in the garden, and it's true in life in general. At least, we hope it is. We feel justice has been done when someone sows violence and reaps a jail time. We are pleased when someone sows hard work and reaps promotion, and when someone sows discipline and reaps a scholarship to college. We believe that the universe has order and fairness when a driver is who is putting other people's safety at risk by speeding is ticketed, even if he did play a role in the defeat of Nazism 75 years ago. You reap what you sow, says Paul in today's epistle reading. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all. 
In the previous chapter of this letter, a passage we read last week, although we didn't think about it, Paul lists nine fruits, what we reap when we sow in the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the seeds we can sow as we go about our day. We can sow love to the person who has hurt us by choosing not to hold on to their guilt. We can sow joy to the person who can't find anything to be happy about. We can sow peace to the person who is anxious. Patience in the queue at the store or the traffic light. Kindness to the person who gets in the way when we're in a hurry. Goodness to the marginalised person, the one everyone ignores or ridicules. Faithfulness to your co-worker who needs your support right now. Gentleness to the angry person who crosses your path. And self-control when everything in your mind and body is telling you to join in the gossip or the trash talk or the self-indulgence. And in time, says Paul, those seeds that we sow now will produce a harvest if we don't give up. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live a life that is marked by those nine qualities, those nine fruits of the Holy Spirit? If we want peace and are prepared to go and do the hard job of sowing it, then we will receive it. If we truly want joy or love or any of these fruits, and if we want them desperately enough, then we will labour in the heat of the day, preparing the ground, ploughing, weeding, planting, watering, and we will reap. In this sense, God gives us what we want in life, but we have to really want it. God will probably not open up our lives to reap love if we are unwilling to sow it in other people first. My favourite preacher is a man named Rob, Rob Bell, who used to pastor a megachurch in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I went to listen to him once, and I still read his books. Now, when I said megachurch, you possibly felt a siren warning you of danger because we think we know about megachurches with their manipulative pastors, sophistication and cynicism, uh, their twisted message of health and wealth. But don't go there. That stereotype is often wrong, and if we were to believe it, we would be guilty of prejudice. A few years ago, Bell wrote a book called Love Wins, and it created a lot of controversy in the church tradition that Bell comes from, which has traditionally taught a literal hell, a place of suffering where those who do not accept Christ spend eternity. And in this book, Bell dismantles that image of an angry, cruel God who sends people he loves into a place of torment. Instead, Bell sees hell as partly people's experience now. People create their own hell 
he says, through their choices to live small, self-interested or hateful lives. He writes this, do we get what we want? And the answer to that is a resounding, affirming, sure and positive, yes, yes, we get what we want. God is that loving. If we want isolation, despair and the right to be our own God, God graciously grants us that option. If we insist on using our power to make the world in our image, God allows us that freedom. If we want nothing to do with light, hope, love, grace and peace, God respects that desire on our part and we are given a life free from those realities. The more we want nothing to do with all God is, the more distance and space are created. If, however, we crave light, we are drawn to truth, we are desperate for grace, we've come to an end of our plots and schemes and we want someone else's path, God gives us what we want. If we have this sense that we've wandered far from home and we want to return, God is there, standing in the driveway, arms open, ready to invite us. If we thirst for the peace that transcends all understanding, God doesn't just give, it's poured on us, lavished, heaped, until we are overwhelmed. It's like a feast where the food and wine do not run out. So what do you really want in life? Love? Sow it. Acceptance? Sow it. Justice? Well, take out the packet of seeds and sow it. So what will you sow this week? Sowing and reaping. It's the law. Jesus knew it, Paul knew it, Sir Robert Watson Watt knew it, and so did Hattie Mae Wyatt. And it's her story I want to leave you with. It is a tale so inspiring that it sounds too good to be true, but I fact-checked it on Snopes.com, and uh, the version I'm going to tell you is factual in every detail. Hattie Mae Wyatt was a child who lived in Philadelphia at the end of the 19th century. One Sunday morning she went to church, a small Baptist church which housed an overcrowded Sunday school. In fact, it was so overcrowded that Hattie Mae could not get in on her first visit. The pastor, Russell Conwell, saw her outside in the street and, picking her up, carried her into the building and found a tight little space for her. He reassured her that one day they would have buildings big enough to allow everyone to attend who wanted to, although Conwell himself admitted years later that he said this just to reassure Hattie Mae and did not actually believe it. Well, within a few weeks, Hattie Mae became sick and Pastor Conwell was asked by her mother to come to the house and pray for her recovery. 
He did, but with no conviction that her illness would end in anything other than her death. And it did. Hattie May's mother told Conwell that her little daughter had been saving money to help build the bigger church that he had mentioned, and she gave him a little purse which contained 57 cents. Conwell changed the 57 cents into 57 pennies, told the congregation the story of Hattie May and sold the pennies in return for about $250. Some investment-minded members of the church formed what they called the Wyatt Might Society, which was dedicated to making Hattie's May, Hattie May's 57 cents grow as much as possible. Soon, Hattie May's 57 cents was sufficient to buy a nearby property which became the home of the Sunday school. And Hattie May's vision came to pass thanks to that 57 cents. But that is not the end, not by a long way. The investment continued to grow. Under the imaginative leadership of Pastor Conwell and the business smarts of the members of the congregation. Soon, the church needed an even larger building and the congregation set their mind on purchasing a local property that was priced at $25,000. However, the owner said he'd settle for $5,000 and asked for a down payment of $0.57. Cents. That new Sunday school building was renamed Temple College. Today, Temple University occupies 115 acres and is home to 38,000 students. The 746-bed hospital of the same name has an annual budget of $5.9 billion. All because a child sowed 57 cents. If this is what God can do with the tiny gift of a young girl, what can he do with you and me and this parish that bears the name of the writer of today's epistle? In his words, let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all. Amen.